to another episode of Cross Street Coaching. Today, we are furthering our series of The Reluctant Entrepreneur. This is normally a podcast about personal professional development, leadership, and all things coaching. Surprise from a coaching point of view, but this year, we are covering a single topic of entrepreneurship. If you didn't catch off our kickoff last episode, that's where we kind of talked about where our head was at, where Diana Ideas, who is with me virtually in the studio today. Heyo. And we, she kind of shared about where this idea came from. And I kind of shared some of my thoughts on it. And so in our second episode, we're going to dive a little bit deeper into the reluctant part of the reluctant entrepreneur. And we're going to talk about risk today. So last week or last episode, I should say. One of the things that really, really stood out from Diana's and I's conversation is the notion that in traditional entrepreneurship, it feels very, very risky. That the two stories you often hear is someone putting everything on the line or that they just had enough and they reached a breaking point and there was no a point of no return. And we started to dismantle that idea with multitudes of different types of entrepreneurship. And one of the things that Diana brought up was about one of the ICF core competencies, or is it ICF PC? Which one is it? Uh, it's just more of a kind of a found at the foundation, like foundation. a foundational belief. If there are any ICF uh, testers or uh, police hey, on I the line, yeah. so I got yeah. you covered, oh, man. Dang. I got you covered. Dang good. Um, I would have failed that miserably. But the idea that we treat the client as resilient and whole, and I really like that when it comes to our flavor of our approach of the entrepreneurship. And it really dovetails nicely with the idea of the reluctance and the reluctant entrepreneur. So I thought that'd be a great place to start today, Diana. What do you think? Okay. Do you want to start with risk or resourceful and whole? Let's start with risk. Okay. So I think one of the things that that's interesting is, you know, in the previous episode, I talked about just, you know, being scared or afraid or what's, what's happening. And, you know, it's, I think a lot of what at least for me, was unappealing about the entrepreneur life was the level of risk. And it's interesting because as you look at even from an assessment perspective, so one of the things you can do on HawthorneUnion.com is you can take the predictive index. So one of the things in that assessment is it talks about comfort with risk versus cautious with risk. And so much of the reluctant entrepreneur, I think for me, is that cautious with risk and being careful. Is this worth the risk? Is this a good idea? And uh, for the Enneagram geeks out there, um, I used to score very high in type six and sixes are amazing risk assessors. You know, what if this happens? What if, what about this? And just really looking at how do we mitigate all the risks? And what's interesting for me is just even the change over time for when I was a more reluctant entrepreneur to now where I have my feet under me a bit more as an entrepreneur, my assessment results actually changed. So I moved from kind of cautious with risk on the predictive index to comfortable with risk. And then also I transition. Now I don't score as high in type six. I score higher in type seven that are all about kind of abundance and opportunities and possibilities. So I think it's interesting when I talk to clients about their relationship with risk is that there's a certain type called the maverick. We have a number of mavericks on our team at Hawthorne Union. And the description of it says you know, comfortable with risk, undaunted by failure. And when I talk to Mavericks out there, they're like, well, you know, you know, I I don't think I'm a risky person. And I'll say, well, you see opportunities other people don't see. And they're like, oh, yeah, 
of course. <laughs> and you're not stopped by the same obstacles that other people are stopped by. And they're like, oh yeah, for sure. And to me, that's risk. You know, it's, it's meaning that I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with seeing those pitfalls or those potential barriers. I think that that's actually sometimes a good thing because when we think about troubleshooting or testing or being careful, but at least for me, it was a lot of reluctance. Whereas as I've gained more ground as a entrepreneur, I've started to see more opportunity that before I think I would have just looked at as risk. Yeah, I mean, when we talk about the reluctant entrepreneur, the risk is the reason for the reluctance. The risk, the Mm -hmm. cautious, the yellow lights, the possibilities of failure are the reasons that we pump the brakes. Yeah, good point. And not to make this a, a note about PI, but one of the things that Predictive Index that I really like is that it kind of allows and kind of has room for the snapshot effect. Whereas a lot of other assessments, I'm looking at you, Myers-Briggs, doesn't <laughs> really allow for the fact that people's risk tolerance does change based mm-hmm. on their environment. And in, in the previous episode, you had talked a lot about how your first step of the entrepreneurship was the temporary entrepreneur because it was like, Hey, is this even a real thing? This was always a side gig, but now your next evolution is about hiring employees. So I'm kind of interested, you know, for you sharing your perspective on the initial reluctance around creating a business and what felt so risky. Whereas now you're looking at different risks and we'll go there, but how did it start? Yeah, that's an interesting point. Interesting question. So I think for me and being... So my dad was an entrepreneur, very talented one, but it was the feast and famine. And my mom had a more kind of steady career and and was more the steady Betty. And I always just resonated more with that um, than my ex-husband being an entrepreneur as well. And then me being the more kind of steady income. So for me, it was very much a financial focus how do we pay for this? Who's paying for this? Do kind of financial security. And um, it was interesting, even at one point when establishing my business, I was like, well, I'd like to have a cash reserve of this amount. And my coach was like, what's that amount? Is Are we talking about security? Or does that is that just an arbitrary number? And I was like, Oh, yeah, you're right. Like, that's an arbitrary number. We're talking about security. So I, I feel like for me beginning, it's the kind of will my needs be met, you know, it gets into the kind of Maslow's heart hierarchy, right? Like, you know, it's, it's, are my core needs going to be met? And even when I look at the concern of hiring full time employees, it's can I meet their needs on a consistent basis? Um, so a lot of it for me was a very financially focused, the will this idea fail? Will people like me? Those aren't really things that I spend a lot of time on. You know, if the idea fails, meh, like (laughs) the idea fails. And like, if people don't like me, they don't like me. I know that those are very strong motivators for some people. You know, what will my family think? What will my community think? Will people laugh at me? Um, Those weren't really risks for me. The risks were more financial. I think it's also looking at from an investment perspective. Is this worth my time? Is this worth, you know me not having as much time to have a life? Um, Is this worth me trying to make it in this particular community? Um, So for me, a lot of it had to do with kind of safety and security at a foundational level. 
Yeah, I do believe that a lot of people are are concerned with making ends meet. But if it's not really a concern as far as like if you always have options, usually financial goals aren't the first thing that come to mind, but they're never usually the last. So we're like, oh, yeah, and maybe one day the money will come unless you don't have to worry about money. Well, and, and that's the case for some people. Like if if someone either comes from money or is already retired or has a partner or a family situation where they don't need to make the money, they may have different risks than the ones that I was up against. Um, but for me, it was more, I mean, it wasn't more, can this make me money? It was just, I don't, you know, it, because it wasn't something I had ever wanted. And we talked about that, you know, I mean, it's ironic to be have been a business owner, but because I just thought like, oh, this is something for my future. This isn't for my now. And it's not ever something I thought was gonna financially sustain me. So for me, the finances were a big piece of it. It was a lot of the risk. Um, but I think, I think to your point, risk looks like different things to different people. So I don't know if you want to speak to that, but you know, you mentioned being risk averse. Does that come up for you mostly financially or does that come up for you in other ways? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think, I think financially is probably the first place for me. It does come up. I mean, this reminds me of my favorite entrepreneur meme, which is like the 10 things that I do every morning in order to be a successful entrepreneur. It's like wake up at 6am, meditate, eat my steel cut oats, cardio for 90 minutes, check my parents trust fund, and then <laughs> so on and so forth. Right. And then it's like, a you know, that thing and that but it's all about kind of the idea that successful entrepreneurs, they come from money. And yeah. there is obviously a little bit of truth from that, right? 60% of the wealth in our country is absolutely inherited. So someone can fact check that statistic on Wikipedia. But it's interesting because for me, my grandparents were kind of entrepreneurs. They were real estate. They had their own like real estate license. And I have an uncle that has run his own business. And my other grandparents on my father's side, they ran their own store. But my parents were always like company people. And so my idea of what the right way to do things was really to have a, a steady paying job. Because again, like I... I had mentioned in the previous episode, that's what felt safe. That's what feels right is having the steady eddy income and then working your way up the ladder in the belief that if you invest yourself in a company, that it eventually is going to have a return on investment. If you stick with a job through thick and thin, that is how you're going to, your needs are going to be met. If I look back on kind of where I was like 10, 15 years ago, I was still making hourly wage, like 12, 13, 14 bucks if even. So the idea that I would risk that on the line for some future payoff seemed like absolutely ludicrous to me at first, because there was absolutely that scarcity mindset, which is, how am I going to pay the bills? How am I going to do this? And in in that process, I also became a, a single parent as well. So the absolute focus was, of course, you mentioned Maslow's hierarchy, was getting the bills paid. So that's kind of where I'm coming from, which was the the money is the ticket to let you doing let letting you to do everything else and all the side projects and the what I would consider entrepreneurship. That was fun things. That wasn't what was going to take care of the bills. That was where my historical view is. Yeah. 
Well, and if, and if someone's like, oh, the money doesn't matter, it usually means they come from money, <laughs> right? Like if the money doesn't matter. Either they come from money or have a different level of financial security. I do think though that, that potentially risk ex- expands beyond that for people who are like, hey, what's my legacy? And this is my name. And in addition to people being risk averse, maybe kind of failure averse, like what if I try this and it doesn't work? Um, for me, it was a Hail Mary pass. Like if I tried it and it didn't work, it's fine. I didn't, I wasn't planning on it working. Um, so it was actually an adjustment for me to be like, oh, I out earned my corporate salary. Hey, wait a second. Because that's what, it's not ever something I thought about. But as we were company people, we were working for someone else. So someone else's entrepreneurial vision, or, you know, at some point, somebody started that company. And I just think, it's not really something that we think about. So I, I think one of the things that I would put out there is what risks for people to think about is like, what risks are you eyeing, maybe warily eyeing or not taking? How does that serve you? And how does it not serve you? And what if those risks instead were opportunities? Because, you know, as we talk about risk aversion, a lot of times we're looking at safety and security. And absolutely, those are important things. But I guess the question is, is that if you were already safe and secure, which I think speaks to the resourceful and whole that you wanted that you mentioned, but it's like, if you are already safe and secure, then what would you do? Like, what's the possibility? What's the opportunity? So I think that's, to me, that's the other side of risk. It's like, on the one hand, you have the safety, security, and potentially the fear but then looking at what's the opportunity and what's the possibility. Because that's something that's something from a negotiation standpoint. I learned that, you know, my ex-husband was playing a game I wasn't playing. He would just ask questions like, hey, can you do anything for us on price? Hey, is it possible this? Like it's kind of that that the business mindset of is there an opportunity here? And what I found is he would get discounts and our rent deducted and things like that. I was like, all he's doing is asking questions. And that helped me being very financially motivated. That helped me see, okay, well, let me ask a $80 question. Let me ask a $100 question. And eventually I asked a $30,000 question. And I was like, okay, I'm bought in. (laughs) Like, (laughs) I get it now. So I, I think, you know, I, I think it's important to see, you know, if you're playing safety, it's kind of like defense versus offense. So of course you need a good defense, but if you're not playing offense, like, or as they say, like offense is the best defense. So I, I, that to me relates to some of what we were looking at or thinking about with risk, you know, are you being proactive? Are you playing offense? Are you just playing defense? Are you good with your lot in life? And so where you are suits you. Or is it time to maybe see like, hey, do you walk away from the goal a little bit and take some chances? Yeah. And when we're talking about, you know, comforts, there's also, you know, it's not just inherited wealth, but what I think of is, is for creative types, like people that do photography, there's the notion of wedding video hell, right? Because someone is always getting married. Someone's always getting married. And it's a lot of work and a concentrated amount of time for kind of quote unquote low income, right? It's a there's usually like a ballpark figure, but you can churn a lot of output, but there's always weddings to do. Well, if anything had if the last two years have taught us anything, it's that market disruptions happen. So if you aren't worrying about money because there's always business on your side hustle, 
well, those things can change as well. But I find it interesting that the change from risk adverse to more kind of risk aware, what was risk averse and... I mean, it, it, it's. I think it's a good point. There's not necessarily a term, but at least from the predictive index, it's cautious versus comfortable. Cautious versus comfortable is really seeing things as opportunity, which reminds me of a very common coaching exercise, which is people are like, well, I feel nervous, especially for public speaking. You're like, well, what happens when you get nervous? Oh, well, I start my palms get cold and my hands get sweaty. Mom's spaghetti, the Eminem song and everything. But if you talk to someone and say, okay, well, tell me what feeling excited is like. Where mm. You, they it's related. Traditionally, it, it, they explain the very, very same symptoms. But in that alternate frame of mind, one is very scary. It's nervousness. The other one's excited. But most people, when they're excited, their heart starts beating. And they also can have the fight or flight things like, yeah, I'm really ready to go. But it's really that perspective. So when we look at risk, it's the same type of juxtaposition where it's really how someone is framing it that changes it from an opportunity to a full stop, something very, very scary. And what do you think about those questions? Is that something that someone who feels more risk adverse, risk cautious could start doing to create awareness on where they even fall on that spectrum? Yeah, I think I think it's important for us to know where we are. And then to say, hey, am I choosing? Am I choosing this? Uh, So it's I like you know, if someone's doing your taxes or your billing, (laughs) you need them to be very cautious with your money and very careful and conscientious and precise. Um, Where if it's something where you're maybe brainstorming, you maybe want someone who's more kind of boundless with the opportunities or thinking about what could be possible. So it's not a risk is good, risk averse is bad. Um, I think it's just a matter of in the kind of spectrum of, let's say, risk and opportunity, where does a person stand? And then, you know, what are the pros and cons of that stance? And then how does that match you and your life? And I think to your point about what's, that's a very coach answer, right? But the thing is, is to me, it's not about right or wrong. It's about there's going to be pros and cons either way. So do you like the pros better than the cons? Yeah, that's really a personal opinion. Most of the time you hear the age old mantra, no risk, no reward, baby. Right. It's very kind of all or nothing mentality for entrepreneurship. But for us as coaches, the first part is kind of creating that awareness. If people even know where they stand on risk and it could be different situations feel more risky than others. I mean, there's a whole spectrum of possibilities here, but to create that awareness is, are you really risk cautious versus kind of, you know, steering more towards acceptable of risk and then deciding what to do with that, which goes to our next point, which is treating the clients or our future entrepreneurs as resilient and whole. So if someone decides that they are more risk adverse, how do they even become an entrepreneur? I mean, and that's some of the reluctance, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I think I think if someone's more risk averse, it's like, okay, what do you need to feel safe? What do you need to feel that this is the right opportunity for you. Um, ideally, you know, we we talked about this in the previous episode, at Haw- the Hawthorne Union episode of Cross Street Coaching. You know, this was kind of wing and a prayer. Like I didn't have a cash reserve. I didn't have this plan. This wasn't, this wasn't something where I was like, hey, I'm going to try this full time. So I think that that's somebody, if somebody's more risk averse, they're obviously, or I would imagine going to feel safer 
if they have community support, cash reserve, you know, research, mentoring, things like that. Like there's a lot of resources out there. Um, I think one of the hard things though about COVID is that a lot of people who thought they were safe all of a sudden weren't. And companies, you know, that had been in business forever with no plans of closing did. So it's, I think the thing is, is that just because, I mean, we talked about this, like illusion of safety versus safety. So, you know, it is important to figure out, hey, what, what needs, what needs can you meet before you take a leap? But then also, if you need to take a leap and you aren't ready, how are you going to do it anyway? This kind of comes into the, the curious like chicken versus the egg discussion, discussion, which is what happens first? Does a leap of faith happen? And then there's sort of the kind of finding out or is there ability to do something like I'm going to work a nine to five to keep the lights on and then work on my passion project, my entrepreneurial dreams in the evenings. The truth of the matter is, is that I've worked with several clients in a coaching capacity that do the latter, that they have their regular job and they dedicate whatever leftover hours they have to their their ideal career. The truth of the matter is that it just takes longer. Is that necessarily a bad thing? For some people, that's a huge block because they know that there's no way I can work a nine to five and dedicate the best hours of my day, the best days of my week to something that I have no passion for, such as working at the hardware store or waiting tables, and then giving whatever small sliver left I have to what really matters. But is that necessarily a bad thing? Right? Some For some people, it's not. Sometimes these things do take time. Or there are situations where there are major disruptors to a business and industry, and the iron's hot. It's a time to strike. Yeah, I think it what's coming to mind for me as you share is risk risk relation to timing, to circumstances timing and then also passion. So I think the thing is is that for me having Hawthorne Union be a side hustle was fine. It did mean that we didn't offer classes or I didn't necessarily actively seek clients and that was fine with me. Uh, but I think if someone is in a job, but I also really liked my jobs. I liked the work that I was doing. And I am I was privileged enough to have the work I was doing be very similar to what my side hustle was. So I think though, if someone is feels like they're in a dead end job and their work doesn't matter and their entrepreneur vision is a real passion for them, then... I think that that sometimes can change people's risk tolerance and change people's timing. Yeah, people's risk tolerance does evolve after they've been exposed to risk and seeing the outcomes. Like, does your worst does does your worst fears actually happen? Where you put yourself out there and people laugh you off the stage, or is it really more of a like? not so bad thing. I mean, that what comes to mind for me is, Diana, you and I first started working together with Hawthorne Union, which was the great idea like, hey, coach educational classes are very dry and dull. And we came up with these amazing classes and we spread the word and not a lot of people came. Not a lot of people showed up. And very easily, you could be like, we put all this time. This is clearly a bust. But you and I had had several talks that were throwing a party and no one knows where the party's at yet. It just takes time. So that's kind of where I have gotten my risk versus time relation was directly from that experience. 
which where there was a lot of front loading, a lot of time and effort to put into creating this content and making it very thoughtfully based on the experiences that we've had with continual educational content to up your certification. And that ended up into a lot of research and talking to people and being a part of multiple communities that you realize like, oh, coaches actually hate being sold to because they're being sold to 24-7 on every single social media platform and every single corner they go. That's kind of my thoughts on where I've developed that kind of correlation. Yeah, I think about it too with... I liked what you said about perspective because you know it's some people when you think about from a publishing perspective some people will never even write the thing or never even share it because they don't want to be rejected right like the fear of rejection is very real um whereas i think other people will get their rejection letters and hang them up right and take them as a badge of honor because that means that they're putting their work out there um, and they're putting, you know, and, and I know that there's more self-publishing now, so that may that may be less the case. But I, I think it's kind of, you're going to fall. Like that's just, that's just part of it. Like you're going to fall, but it's, it's are you going to get up again, <laughs> right? And are you so afraid of not falling that you're not even going to bother trying? And I, I think that's really risk. Or like the Anais Nin quote, the there's something I'm gonna butcher this and not get it exactly right, but basically like the pain of remaining in a tight bud was greater than the pain it took to blossom. Or like Thomas DeLauer, he says, choose your hard. He's like, losing weight is hard, fasting's hard, this is hard, you know, being overweight is hard, like just choose your hard. So, you know, it's it's not that, oh, this is some magic wand and all of a sudden my life is easy because I'm an employee or my life is easy because I'm an entrepreneur. It's like, you're going to have to choose your heart and choose your benefits. And, you know, some of the things too, is that for me, just from a sustainability perspective, which is definitely something we should talk about on the, uh, in this season, but from a sustainability perspective, it was figuring out like, Hey, how do I make this sustainable? How do I make sure I'm taking care of my quality of life? If I'm going to shoulder all the risks of entrepreneur life, I need to make sure that I have some of the rewards as well, which can be hard to think about as you're first like starting out because it can just feel really daunting. Yeah, there's also a lot of exposure to entrepreneur content. It's talked about a lot more. So therefore, the standards of what success is, it is like way over. It's it's not even remotely realistic. The reality is that most businesses even in the common sense, I would say the last 30 years, most businesses don't make money their first year. So the idea is that only people with thousands of Instagram followers, if not tens of thousands, are the ones that make successful business. And your business is only successful if it just has this amazing, flourishing rocket ship to the moon is part of the unrealistic expectations we put on ourselves which is where the, the, a lot of the reluctance comes from because it has to be a banger right out the gates. It has to be a number one hit song. It can't just be something that is really important to me and important to a small circle of friends. And that's where I think working with a coach, when you start kind of reframing what your desires or what success looks like, can sort of dampen how you're entering in, into a risky area. 
such as starting a business or such as putting your creative self out there or leaving your nine to five. If you think you're automatically going to leave your 40 plus hour job and make the same amount of money, when in reality, most entrepreneurs work twice as much as they worked in their steady job. And they're like, what the, what the hell have I done? Yeah. Well, I got also bills hard. to pay. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's also hard too, because you can do amazing work and not get paid. <laughs> right? mm-hmm. Like that's, that's part of it. Yeah. Especially in a very sales driven, you know, it's like professional services. There's a lot of, of front loading for discussion for sales or marketing that truly don't pay off. And that's something that I don't think gets talked about enough, which is, what does success actually look like? If this feels so risky that it's not, it's preventing me from starting, well, what do I need in order to make this feel a lot more comfortable? What do I need to feel like my first foray into the wild is a good one? Yeah. And, and make then, it a good one. <laughs> and then there's also, you know, for some people, I definitely gravitate to the positive side, like you're describing. But for some people, there, you know, you have to look at like, hey, what's the worst case scenario? And then what's the likelihood that that's going to happen? You know, I go for broke, or my family hates me, or everyone laughs at me, or I don't have any friends anymore, because they think I'm trying to sell them something. So for some people really like looking at that and being like, okay, how likely is that? And is that enough of a tangible risk that it actually helps reinforce the choice you make not to take it? Or is it, you know, I talked to people, I don't know who said, but there's the kind of idea that like the regret is the risks that you don't take versus the ones that you do. I don't know if that's actually true. But something I find is that people usually regret going against their instincts, but they don't usually regret following their instincts. So I think that that's another layer as well is, you know, what does your gut say? And A lot of times, I think when we look at risk, it's a very heady thing. Um, Sometimes it's maybe also the heart involved. Like, will people like me? Do people want me? Will I be rejected kind of thing? Um, But at least for myself, it's like, hey, like, what's what's your instinct here? Um, Is this a good idea or not? Yeah. So when you think back uh, to your your actual worst fears when diving into this foray, how many of those worst fears came true? None. None of them. (laughs) (laughs) Most of the time, it's a hypothetical response to a hypothetical situation that hasn't even remotely happened yet. Yeah, exactly. Well, and then also, you know, it's, it's the whole, I mean, to not to be cliche, but you know, the whole like, it's better to love and loss. Like, well, when your heart's broken, it doesn't feel like it was better to lose. You know, I I think that's important, right? We learn something. We learn something from those loves. We learn something from the relationships. So I think the thing is, is that that's another thing. There's sometimes an extremist thinking. You are an entrepreneur or you are not. Like you are a company person or you are not. And, And don't get me wrong. I definitely, there was bias against me when I had my own business and I was going for interviews. And I was like, no, 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 I'm not really an entrepreneur. <laughs> like, please hire me. Um, so, you know, there is, but, you know, I was asked, like, you have your own business. Why would you work for us? So, you know, there is an idea of other or an extreme. But I think the other thing is, is that one of the things we want to think about or look at is like, what if you just tried it? What if you put aside X number of dollars or X amount of time 
and you just gave it a shot. It's almost like if you were to go to a casino and be like, here's my budget, and I'm going to do the best I can with X amount of dollars. And then if I run out of X amount of dollars, this is what I'm comfortable with losing. And then I'm going to walk away. Now, that's hard for people to do depending on their level of discipline. But entrepreneur life could be looked at the same thing. I just I think the thing is, is that some people are like, Oh, but if I fail or Oh, it's, you know, it's more complicated than that. And obviously, if people have families and mortgages, sometimes it is more complicated than that. But it's also looking at, you know, one of the things that my mom talks about is, you know, sometimes in my upbringing, the money was tighter but they were, my parents were really good at pursuing their dreams. And so, you know, we may not have had some of my desire to be financially secure is impacted by some of those challenges that we faced in my family. But at no point was it don't pursue your dream, because we can't afford it, or it might not be sustainable. But that may actually be why I felt so reluctant (laughs) on the entrepreneur side, because I was like, this isn't my dream. So I don't want to try to financially sustain this. Um, but then I have reluctantly come around. But part of what bought me in and dropped the reluctance was when I out-earned my corporate salary. And then when I did it again, because for me, the financial measure was really the measure of success and sustainability and security for me. Um, but at the same time, you know, having when you know, you lose a decision maker or someone who signed a contract is no longer with the company and you don't know if the new person is going to sign the contract or not, that shakes my foundations a little bit. And the more I'm established as a business owner and the more financially secure I am, the less my foundations get shaken. But the thing is, is that the core of it, which for me is very financial, not necessarily for everyone, um, but the the core of it remains true. So I think it's looking at how do we also attend to the things that we know are at the foundation to make sure that our foundations are strong. Yeah. And if your foundation isn't getting shaken, then I guess you're not a reluctant entrepreneur. You're you're just a regular entrepreneur. And this is probably not the show. <laughs> probably not the show for you. Maybe yeah. you just need the, just a plain, the regular entrepreneur. But, you know... That's that's kind of what we're talking about here today. I mean, I feel like we've taken a pretty good lap around most of the things about risk and slicing and dicing it. Anything else has come to mind for you, Diana, before we wrap up here for today? I guess, is there anything you want to add about resourceful and whole? I think the last thing that I will say about resourceful and whole, one of the things that I've really enjoyed about sharing, hearing about your journey and hearing about other people's journey into entrepreneurship is that it's not about replicating exactly what someone else has done, but kind of helping pick and choose the things that resonate with you or things you could try to find out what your flavor is, what your version of entrepreneurship is in order to move forward. Because if this is about not trying to fit a square peg in a round hole, not being like, go all in, baby. That's the only way you got to be an entrepreneur. And then posing on Instagram with the sports cars and stuff that we're talking about a, a different version of entrepreneurship is that just because you are more cautious or considerate of risk doesn't necessarily mean that you can or can't do this. There is a path forward for you. And so I'm hoping that people do take these stories and implement them into a way to maybe even do A-B testing, right? So I'm going to try this. I'm going to try something else. 
and see what what works for you. Because if we do consider you as resilient and whole as an entrepreneur, it would mean that there isn't just necessarily a right or a wrong way, but there are multiple paths to get there. And we're hoping that maybe this show and some of the ideas that we share help you get there. Beautifully put. All right. I don't plan to ever pose with sports cars on Instagram. (laughs) I mean, I know we say never say never, but you know, don't hold your breath, people. Not even a Maserati. (laughs) Sounds good. (laughs) All right. So Diana, where can people find out more about you? Yes. So LinkedIn, Diana Ideas. Uh, HawthorneUnion.com would love to stay in touch and thank you Jason for having me another one in the books you can also find me on LinkedIn as well or at HawthorneUnion.com and until next time